Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, I'm Mike Pownell, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile, the podcast for veterinarians, the veterinary profession discussing all things related to human resources. And as always, I am joined by the always impressive Katie Arline. Hey, Katie. Super impressive. Hey, Mike. How's it going? I'm well. I'm really well. I'm kind of uh, apprehensive to a certain degree. I'm actually presenting at a small conference just outside Montreal, Quebec this weekend. It'll be the first time presenting in front of a group of people since February 2020. So live, yeah. 21 months later. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. In English, I assume, not in French. Uh, It's going to be interesting because it is in English, but they're going to have real-time translation. Oh, cool. So there'll be somebody, and as we're speaking, they'll be translating. So what is scheduled to be a one-hour presentation might be a two-hour presentation. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm just looking forward to being out in front of people. Yeah, going somewhere. My wife and I went to an event uh, in downtown Toronto last weekend, and uh, sitting in an auditorium with about 3,000 people, all showing proof of vaccine and what have you, but felt safe. That was awesome. What really chilled me, what was really the most impressive was listening to live applause Mm. and sort of having that communal appreciation for an event on the stage. That was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. So last Friday, you and I presented at an online program in Ontario, Veterinary Education Today. It was supposed to be an in-person and they changed it to virtual because COVID, (laughs) again, change the plans on things. And it was really cool because even though it was supposed to be in Ontario, we saw people attending our presentation from BC, British Columbia, Mm -hmm. Washington State. Uh, So it was really cool. And you and I presented on a subject that we have discussed in the podcast before back in uh, the spring called avoiding staff burnout. And yeah, it's obvious, yes, veterinary profession is burning out. New news from when we did this back, I think it was April or May we did it. Mm -hmm. And the AVMA has just released a study in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association on September 15th. And this is based on an AHA compensation and benefits report. But what was really sort of supported our argument that burnout is pervasive in the veterinary profession is the DVM turnover rate is twice that of medical doctors. And so when we say turnover, that's people who are leaving their jobs uh, or could be leaving the profession. But about 16% of DVMs in 2020 have left their jobs. It's 
a lot. Certified veterinary technicians or registered veterinary technicians, 26%, over a quarter, as opposed to registered nurses, that's about 18%. Wow. So yes, we've suspected that burnout is pervasive, and we sort of have documentation to say that people are leaving the profession. It's highly likely a lot of it is related to people just fed up, tired. And I think more research needs to go into the exact reason why. But what was interesting, and I'm sorry I'm monopolizing the discussion right now, but when people were commenting, I mean, we had quite a lot of people on the session. Quite a lot of the people were veterinary practice owners. The comments that were, the questions that were being asked is, I'm a practice owner, I'm burnt out, what do I do? And so it was interesting because we're talking about the employees and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yes, let's not forget the practice owners that have been shouldering a lot of the responsibility and the stress and the concern, the instability of COVID. And so we thought we'd talk today about veterinary practice owner burnout, the factors contributing to it and what uh, a practice owner can do. Mm-hmm. How does that sound for a discussion point? Yeah, I think that sounds great. I think, uh, you know, we've talked about the sort of, quote unquote, six factors for burnout for staff. And you're absolutely right. We sort of just uh, hadn't necessarily specifically talked about owners or even really managers. But obviously, it's it's a huge strain for you as well. So, yeah, it's interesting, too. And I think another reason why we know this is happening, and it's sort of this conference and the questions we're putting two to do together is talking to a lot of practice owners who have been approached to sell their practices. So we all know North America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, the corporate groups are buying practices left, right, and center. And, you know, the timing has been exceptional for them to want to buy because when I talk to colleagues, classmates who are thinking of selling is they're just tired and they just want somebody to take away, I guess, the day-to-day aggravations. I mean, they just, they have hit a wall. And I think it's really played into the business model of these people buying practices is that they have a much more willing audience than I say maybe two years ago pre-COVID because now it's sort of like, I don't want to deal with this crap anymore, which is sad. And so we, we've been talking about the great resignation of staff employees, but I also see there's this great resignation of practice owners who are just like, take this away from me. I'm tired of it. So why don't we talk about those, the factors of burnout and maybe we can comment a little bit on how it applies to the to practice owner as opposed to the other staff. So the first factor is workload. <laughs> this is almost, you know, self-explanatory. And I, but I think what's different about the practice owner is the buck stops with you, right? So it's kind of like if there's a work that has to be done, then it has to be done. What do you think? The workload is relentless. And so COVID shows up. Oh my God, you got to deal with that. Then we're busier than ever. And it's interesting, that same AVMA study was talking about the factors and they sort of argue and there's pretty good data in it to say that, you know, the amount of patients we're seeing really hasn't increased that much. What is different though, is our productivity is about 25% lower. And a lot of that could be explained by curbside pickup and social distancing measures, what have you, that we're all experiencing. And so we're doing the same amount, if not more work, a lot less effectively. So that's hard in its own. And so the same kind of stress and frustration with the amount of work that a 
a receptionist would have, an associate veterinarian, technician. The owners have two, but on top of it, they also have the the burden of you're sort of the queen or king of that ship there, and there's that extra burden on top of it. So the workload, I think, is just off the charts. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the time it's crucial stuff too. Like it's not like you can put something off. Like you, especially you know back when things were changing so quickly with government mandates and things like that for COVID. It was like, okay, well, this has changed, and now I need to dedicate three days to figuring out what this means for my business. 100%. And then it's yeah. like, well, what about the other stuff that you have to do? So definitely a factor. Yeah. Well, then you're also having to deal with, you know, vets are leaving or support staff are leaving, and so there's that, and so there's that extra hour. So everything, it's like a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, yeah, workload, whew, yeah, that's for sure. So the second factor is perceived lack of control. <laughs> could probably argue, especially during COVID, whether this is perceived or this is real, because there was such a degree of, you know, you sort of had to wait to see what we were allowed or not allowed to do. So that lack of control is such a, a huge factor for sure. Yeah, I'm going to argue that there's perceived and there was real lack of control. And when we get into like, what can veterinary practice owners do to combat any burnout they're facing is there is the definitely realistic real lack of control. Like as you said, government mandates, there's nothing you can do about it. But we'll get into the control that we have. I think a lot of this where it affects veterinary professionals in general is our lack of control is because we don't have compliance. We see animals, they have, a, you know, let's say a condition, they're overweight, and you go home and you send the pet owner home with some, you know, hey, you need to lose 10 pounds. Your dog's a little chunky and and then it comes back two months later and it's even bigger. And so, you know, we really feel for the animals. All we can do is suggest changes, but then the animal comes back and it's in more distress and there is a real lack of control. And professionally, as a whatever level you are, position you have in a veterinary profession, that affects you. But I think with the ownership is that so much was dictated to us. We also look at it too, I think, is when you see staff leaving burning out a lot of it is i don't have control of it i don't have or i perceive i don't have control of it and you have this team that you have built up and it's starting to fray and somewhat disintegrate and you as a practice owner feel helpless like it's one thing to be a practice owner when the economy is going great and you got a great team and you're able to hire vets and now we're looking at an environment where it's it's so hard to find new vets. It's so hard to find replacement staff. You know, there's a lot of, the, I don't have any control of it. And I just th- see this disintegrating and oh, I'm working too hard and I don't have control over my environment. And I'm on a rapidly accelerating treadmill mm-hmm. and that's hard. Mm-hmm. So the third factor is reward. And I'm interested in your thoughts on this uh, because, you know, in the context of staff reward, we're saying, you know, it, it's p- whether people feel like they're compensated appropriately for the inputs that they're contributing to the business. So I was really interested to hear your thoughts as a practice owner on where your thoughts lie with this factor. Well, you know, the reward on that is so a lot of part of this is social reward is, you know, there's the monetary reward. And so on one hand, practices are busier than ever. I don't know necessarily if that's translating into profitability. I think some are doing well. I think others are actually probably less profitable now. Wages for veterinarians are going up. So there's a factor of control is all of a sudden there's a market dynamic happening where all of a sudden we have to change compensation, which is going to change profitability. And 
I have no problem with the change of compensation because I think it's actually forcing us to pay our veterinarians and support staff the wages that they deserve. They should get yeah. paid. But as this practice owner before, so what were the rewards of being a practice owner? Well, you had control. You sort of had this dream practice. You're able to practice the medicine you wanted to do. That was a lot of the reward of being a practice owner. Yes, there's risk, but you get compensated for that risk if you have a well-run business. And so there was some financial reward too. And so that, that all felt good. You had a good team. You know, you enjoyed working with your people. And then this is happening and maybe you're not making as much money or you're making as much money, but the effort to get that is a lot more. You see the team that you have built, uh, we just talked about, and we'll keep on talking about it, Frey. And, you know, there's not a lot of reward for being a practice owner. I mean, you're, excuse me, language, you're getting shit upon a lot because your staff is upset. Clients are upset. You don't have control. And yeah, there's like, I'm not getting anything out of this. There's no social reward. There's little monetary reward for the efforts I'm putting in. So overall, it kind of sucks. So the fourth factor is community. And, uh, you know, when you were talking about the second factor, the perceived or real lack of control, you mentioned watching the this team that you put together disintegrate or fray or or whatever the case may be. And I think this is a huge one. I mean, especially if you're very culture-driven practice and that culture is so well-established and everybody's sort of on the bus going in the same direction. So to have that, the lack of community, it's a huge part. It's a huge thing. And I, you know, also, you know, you haven't been able to go to conferences. You haven't done sort of the usual. Yeah, that's a good point. Reaching out and touching people in an appropriate way that you would have done before COVID. It's such a huge toll because you start to feel like you're on an island, you know, and uh, what's happening and um, how can I communicate with people and connect? You know what? I never thought of that. That's a great point because, yeah, we're not. I was supposed to be going to our American Association of Equine Practitioners Convention at the beginning of December. I'm I'm not able to go. And I, I was so looking forward to it. I was really, mm-hmm. really looking forward to seeing people and to reconnect. And man, not everybody's feeling comfortable going to conferences for whatever reason. And so, yeah, there is that lack of community. And often on, on top of it, because I think we, what we haven't talked about is there's also the outside of work factor that I guess nourishes us, gives us some respite from what we're doing. And so we, we often don't have much community in our personal lives. We're not seeing family members as often, friends, what have you. So yeah, I think that lack of community as, as you associate is, you know, again, your team may be struggling and and you don't have that support within the vet community. That's a big factor. So the next one is fairness. Uh, and, you know, in the context of employees, this talks about how people start to really pay attention to what other people are doing and what other people are getting and and uh, whether it's monetary or just a thank you or, or whatever, people really start to pay attention to that when they're burnt out and when they're like, well, heck, why am I here all the time? And this person's at home with their kids because of COVID and that really sticks out. And I, I guess that could translate too to as a practice owner. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. People are home with their kids and you sort of have to do what you have to do, but you as the owner have to show up in some way, no matter what. This is a lot of it is a mindset because I look at a lot of uh, Facebook groups for practice owners and a prevailing theme is owners are so frustrated with their staff mm-hmm. because, you know, staff wants more money, staff wants time off. 
and I'm not, I'm not saying these are, it's right to be frustrated. I just, but it, it is what it is. And I think a lot of them are like, gosh, I'm, I'm running this practice. This is all on me. And I, I wish I could take a day off or I wish I could take time off and, oh, vets are leaving. So I'm actually doing double shifts. And a, that's one big contributor. I think the other one too is, I think, which is very real since the pandemic has started, is just some of the atrocious behavior from clients. And it's not just in the vet profession, it's everywhere. I mean, we hear stories of flight attendants being hospitalized because they're getting hit on a plane. I mean, it's just, it's, that's horrible. But when you see the kind of abuse that, and hear about the stories that some vet practices are telling about the abuse they get. And it's just like, as a practice owner, it's like our team is busting their hump to do a great job. And this is what you do? You know, as we're talking, it's just like one thing on top of the other, which feeds the rest. And I don't have control over what other people are doing. And I'm not getting rewarded. I don't have a community. And it's just not fair because I'm trying so hard. And I have clients that are just crapping all over us. So, yeah, I'm getting frustrated just talking about it. <laughs> so this, the last factor here is a values mismatch. That idea of the practice and the way they do things or the company and the way they do things uh, maybe don't jive with how you as an employee feel or what your values are. And, you know, we've seen this before where some people value one thing, the practice does another. They're not a great fit. Can you talk about how that might affect you as a practice owner? I think how this affects the vet profession in the most ways is, as you said, you've hired people who you thought would be great team members and you realize that they don't share your values, whatever they would be. It could be that, you know, you as a practice owner, there's an expectation of yourself of how many hours you put in or the devotion that you have to the practice. And when you see others don't have it, mm -hmm. you may look at it as a values mismatch. I think the sixth one is not as huge a factor in the vet profession as opposed to, let's say you're an employee of Facebook and you're hearing all the stories of what's going on in the mm -hmm. media lately and the whistleblower about what Facebook is doing to make money that may compromise personal safety, community standards, democracy, what have you. I think that could get really frustrating. I, I think where it is in the vet profession is just on a probably on a more micro level of just like, yeah. I have this team and they're just not what I thought they were going to be. Mm -hmm. Or people's priorities change, uh, which could create a Well, that's for mismatch. sure, yeah. And I mean, that could happen, yeah. obviously, as a result of COVID, too. And that's yeah. just and, and I wonder how much of that is values versus just maybe a mismatched expectations. Mm -hmm. Like you haven't really maintained expectations or stated it or hired for those expectations. So. Yeah, that's a great point. One thing I did not mention when we started this list is this is all... Based on research done by Dr. Christina Maslach, who's a professor of psychology emerita and a researcher at the University of California in Berkeley, and she really has been, you know, a pioneering research in terms of burnout. And when we talk about it in terms of burnout, we, you know, the question we ask is: burnout a result of the individual or the workplace? And because we often as practice owners are like, oh, they're not resilient enough. They're not mm -hmm. tough enough. Back in my days, you know, we can handle stuff. And the reality is it's a mismatch between the people in the workplace. And often, as we're seeing in North America with the great resignation, people are just not, you know, they're being a little bit more selective where they work. Unfortunately, with owners, I'm wondering how many of them are thinking, well, I thought I was resilient. I thought I had grit. 
And now I'm finding out that I'm getting burnt out and I never thought that was going to happen. And it comes back to the workplace again. So I guess the question then is, what are things that a practice owner can do to minimize burnout? That is the million dollar question for sure. We talked about this yesterday and we did come up with some ideas and some thoughts. So, uh, and again, in your dual role as a practice owner, as well as a member of Oculus, I'm interested to hear what you think of these ideas and how you, how practical you think they are. So the first is learning to say no. Oh, yes. <laughs> the perennial pickle for, you know, high achieving people, which I imagine is heightened as a practice owner when you've got opportunities and you've got things that you could be pursuing uh, or things that come up that, you know, should I delegate this or not? Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So where this comes into is saying no to some clients, because as we're saying, we're seeing poor client behavior. We're seeing client mismatch with the practice. So a great example is you as a veterinarian, you know, you have a sick cat and you prescribe the, or you suggest these therapies, medications, what have you, and the owners know because they, you know, they just don't want to spend the money or they don't really value the cat like we think they should. It's fine if it's in one-offs, but you know when you we all have the clients when you're like I don't even bother want to talk to them because they never comply and I feel sorry for the cats or their behavior is such that when we all see their name in the schedule everybody groans and I know people I know veterinarians that when they know they have an appointment the next day with certain people like they don't sleep that night they're so apprehensive about what that appointment is going to be like. And the argument is like, why are we tolerating those clients? Like, why don't we just say, you know what, you're not a good fit for our practice and going back into mismatch and no. And, you know, so this is the first time that I know of where the demand for veterinary services far outpaces the supply. As veterinarians, as veterinary practice owners, we're in a position of control to start saying no and be a bit more selective and and choosing the clients that we want for our practice. But it's so hard because you're the business owner and you remember those days when you were first starting your practice and you had like big gaps in the schedule and you're so, you know, there's that sort of that survivor mentality of that you know what it was like to have nothing. And even 10, 20, 30 years later, it's part of your DNA. I have it myself. Or I did until a couple of years ago. And I just like, this is BS. Like, uh, we're burning out our staff. We're making the work environment miserable because all we're trying to do is, is, is appease a handful of just some rotten individuals. And, you know, so we started last year, like, we, like in this year, like getting rid of clients. Like, we sort of with the vets, okay, who do you dread? Mm-hmm. And it was very much like, all right, do you dread them because, you know, you, you wish they knew more? That's one thing. Because as, as veterinarians, we're part of our roles to be educators and advocates for the animal. Or you dread them because they're going to abuse you. They'll probably go online afterwards and, and say nasty things. Or they're going to berate the receptionist or what have you. And I'm like, those are the people that go. Just like, just go. Or saying no to new patients. You know, I know a lot of practices are like, just like, like we have a hard time saying no because we just want to, we're healers and there's an animal in distress. Our job is to take it. Uh, but you know, we have great clients and when we're also just saying long-term clients, like, oh, you have a three week wait to get an appointment. And then you're like, but why are we taking on new clients if we can't take over care of our established clients? So those are the kind of stresses that we can avoid in our lives mm-hmm. that make things a bit easier. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we've talked about it before. 
reducing your staff's burnout by, you know, them knowing that you have their back and that you'll, you know, if this client's a problem, then you're, that's something that you'll discuss as far as releasing that client. It makes such a huge difference because there's nothing worse as an employee than, you know, getting abused by a client or anybody, even a service provider. And then you go to the boss with it, the boss talks to the client, and then all of a sudden it's all, you know, the boss is like, oh, they promised they would be, they'd be good. That's yeah. like, well, yeah, they, yeah, they'll be good when they talk to you, but they're going to be a AH when they call the office again. So, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, we, we, we got rid of one client. It was, a, I mean, considerable uh, revenue generator. Like, it was a big client. But I could see the effect it was having on our staff, and I, and uh, and as a boss, it was worrying me. So I mean, as a you know, as the owner, you worry about your your the people that work for you, and then when they're worried, you're worried. And then finally, I just said, you know, the long term viability of my team, happy, healthy professionals, or this one client, which is just a pain in the ass for everybody, and we just told the client that we can't service them anymore, and almost the mood in the clinic was instantaneously changed because they know we didn't have to deal with them anymore and they felt supported by the company which made them feel better and so some of these effects of of fairness control all of a sudden a community started to shift and as an owner i started to feel better too and like the little burnout factors are reduced uh so another factor is setting boundaries as far as uh, strategy yes. for reducing owner burnout. What Talk to me about that. Setting boundaries. So I think a lot of that is in the no. It's like saying no to certain clients, saying no to some new patients, but it's also the boundary of workflow. And I think this is a big factor for veterinary practices is, you know, when we're, we're seeing these veterinarians leave the profession, we're seeing registered veterinary technicians leaving the practice. I think a big boundary that I'm recommending is, you know, let's look at our workflow and let's be very strict about how others can help. Mm. And so is it truly a DVM's role to do a procedure, for example? Or can somebody else do it? Does this, does an RVT or a CVT need to do it? Or can a vet assistant do it? And really looking at all those things and just saying, you know what? We don't have to be everything. Or just because I've done it all along this way for the last 10 years, we've got to adjust how we look at things. And that to me is, it's, I guess I'd call that as opening up boundaries as opposed to reducing boundaries. But it's more of I'm not so constrained into this role. Let's be a little bit more flexible and use the team to be able to increase our productivity. Because I said, if our productivity on average is 25% lower than pre-pandemic, that's a significant number. Yeah, and I think another part of this too is, you know, you as an owner, again, you don't have to do everything yourself. But that's a bit of a double-edged sword because you want to make sure you're not just offloading things onto people who don't have capacity either. So it's looking at it not just on a, okay, well, this one thing is something you need to unload. It's more of a global, what's everybody doing at the practice and what, you know, is everything they're doing necessary? So it's it's a, it's sort of a far-reaching thing. It's not just about any one person. So looking at things more holistically, I think, is a big part of it. Yeah. What else do you have? Finding support is another one, I think. Uh, and I, I think going back to that idea of community and where you start to feel isolated and like you're on your own and like, what am I going to do about this? So we talked about finding support as a major factor. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we have found with a lot of practice owners is just, you know, is, is coaching. 
you know, personal performance coaching is just having somebody that you can talk to, not that you're there just to vent, but for them to understand where you or we get in the way. And that's usually what happens. We get mm-hmm. in the way of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And having that outside person to go, you know, you know, this is a behavior that you do that doesn't help you. Let's try to understand why. And here's some tools to navigate it better. I had executive coaching. I mean, it's, it's performance coaching, executive coaching. Uh, it's it's um, several names for a similar thing. And I had that. I had 10 sessions once and it's it was transformative. And I really started to identify where I'm my own worst enemy and what I can do to be kinder to myself, be more self-aware, and to protect myself. And the, this gets into the boundaries discussion too, and that I was, it was such a weight that was lifted off me. And I find since then, I am much better. Not saying that I am cured of what I do to self-sabotage, but I'm aware of it. And I won't go as far down the path as I would have in the past. So I think that's a huge factor. That's a really big factor. Yeah. And I think in general, exploring the whole idea of emotional intelligence and self-awareness and uh, all of those concepts. And like, like you said, where am I in my own way? And, you know, that also goes back to the boundaries and, you know, capacity and things like that. Like how much time am I wasting beating myself up over something when I could just be moving on? It's such a big factor. Yeah. And I would recommend uh, anybody that's listening to this as the practice owners, go back and, and listen to the the two sessions we did with Tova Caldwell on Dr. Tova Caldwell on mindfulness. And there's a lot of gems in there that would really help owners to be more centered and not so caught up in what they're doing and have a bit of a perspective. And protect themselves. And because I, I think one of the other points that we, we say to how do we help our team uh, not burn out is having empathy and we listen to them and try to understand what they're going through and be accommodating for whatever challenges they're having in these tough times. But I think we have to ask ourselves the same questions and, and not be afraid to say, you know what, I need a couple of days off. Like I just need a couple of days off. Mm-hmm. I'm not sick. I'm mentally fatigued and I need some time off and be kinder to ourselves. It's just like we're trying to be with our staff. Totally. I um, just when you said that, you know, taking time off, needing mentally fatigued. I was listening to a book by Alexi Pappas, who is an Olympian who had a lot of mental health problems. And, you know, she was talking about how how difficult it is to to ask for help or even engage in self-care and something, you know, the thing that really transformed it for her was when somebody said to her, your brain is a muscle, just like any other muscle and it can be injured. So why wouldn't, you know, if you're an athlete, you're going to go and you're going to get that injury treated and the brain is absolutely no different. You know, it's, it's physical changes that happen in your brain that cause you to struggle or, or uh, the myriad of things that can happen. So really kind of thinking of it that way. And I think so often in vet medicine, it's kind of like you just bear it up and you're just like, well, you know, my forebears and generations before me were up all night yes, yeah, uh, yeah. and I should be that person too. And it's like, well, how are they now? <laughs> like if they looked back on it, would they like, oh, I'd rather, you know, the last, you know, my 40 years of my work life or 50 years of work life, it could have gone a lot differently. I could, you know, my life could be different if I just honored the fact that the brain is a muscle just like anything else. 
I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it. And it's a bit of a tangent, but I think in general, oh, I think it totally applies to what we're talking about. Yeah, I think just thinking. I mean, it is easy for me to say like that, that that's what it is. But I think that that's such a great way of putting it because there's such a stigma on mental health. And it's like, oh, they're just crazy, which is a horrible thing to say. And it's like, well, no, they're it, they're sick and they're injured. So why wouldn't we give that the respect uh, that we give other types of injuries? So that's my little one step soapbox for today. No, I think that's spot on because I mean, we're looking at some like super high performing athletes over the last few months who are like, I need to step away because I am mentally drained. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm not mentally there. And I mean, if Simone Biles says, I'm not mentally there, nobody should judge her, but nobody should judge anybody else because no. we don't know what anybody else is going through. And if somebody says, I need some time, I need to rest and recuperate, we got to let them. But I think the sort of leads to the biggest challenge and, and, I, and I think we'd be really negligent to not bring it up because you know again when we talk to practice owners and you and I have been doing some seminars in the year in Europe and we, we talked to a lot of practices that number one challenge facing the vet profession is where to find new people mm-hmm. and I think that is the probably one of the biggest contributors to this burnout of owners of I can't find a vet I can't find staff and I, you know, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about now, I think are, uh, I don't know if they're necessarily the quick fixes, but there are things you can address right away. Mm-hmm. Like if you need to take a couple of days off, you know, you're the owner, book yourself off. You start looking at yourself and, you know, find a coach. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do. I, I think though, this is where I, I was talking before about there's real lack of control and perceived lack of control. And so when I see the people commenting on Facebook groups and on other forums about, you know, their staff and the source of anguish, disappointment, the bitterness that results from it, I'm like, this is where you have control. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly, I almost get evangelical about this, is that if you're building that right culture based on values, purpose, hiring the right people, being selective. And yes, you're to say, be selective in hiring somebody now when there's such a shortage of like, you know what? Better wait to hire the right one. Maybe slow down your business. Just because you're a five vet practice and now you're a four vet doesn't mean your four vets still have to work as a five vet practice. Yeah. Unless you can really adjust your workflow. You know what? Shrink a little bit. You can always grow. I mean, just, growth is not going to be a problem in the next few years. You know, hire the right people. Make sure they're trained. I think people just hire bodies and then they're annoyed and frustrated and it wears on them when these bodies don't work out as they expect it to. And I think that's the biggest part of, of, of burnout. I mean, if you can establish your business and it's recognized as a great culture that people want to work, number one, you're going to lose less people. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have a much better retention problem. Like I'm sort of going off on a side tangent here. I, I was reading something and they were talking about another industry and they're like, you know, it's not a shortage of people. It's a, it's not a shortage of people problem. It's a retention problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have in the, in the veterinary profession is that we don't take care of our employees enough. We don't have good systems in place. We're not hiring for our culture that we want. That makes it harder to retain people. So I think if we can start working on that on our practices, we're going to retain people better. So we're going to be less needing to find new people. And But when we do go to find new people, 
we're going to be ones that are people are going to look at because the reputation is or they look at it and they visit us and they feel the vibe and they're like, this is a place I want to work at. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll actually work for less money here because this is a nicer place to be. I'm, I'm stepping off my soapbox now. Oh, that's good. We both had our soapbox moments here at the end. Are there any, any other uh, strategies or wisdom that you have or anything we didn't talk about as far as what practice owners can do to combat burnout in themselves? I think that's it. I think the biggest thing, and this gives you a sense of control, is start saying no. Saying no to save the people that you have and to do better with the clients that you have. I just... The client's not always right. And I think we just got to be looking at everything as let's take care of our staff first. They'll take care of your clients. So if we got to work a little bit less, got to say no to some people, take some time off. I think that covers it. What about you? Am I, are we missing anything? I don't think so. I hope this helps. You know, it's sort of a, a 10,000 foot view on things. And a lot of it's, it's easier said than done. We're in a, a pretty uh, rare situation now, and it's just it's not, it's all areas of the vet profession. So I think taking care of our employees first, making sure that's a great system for them, that means you're attracting better people, you're retaining the great people you have. That right there is going to alleviate a lot of problems. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Katie. As always, it's a blast, and I, I love how we're going through these. I just the insights that you brought up just like made me think about things a bit differently too. So I, thank you for that. Oh, anytime. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. If anybody has any questions, any thoughts, or any questions you'd like us to answer on the subject, just reach out to us at info at oculusinsights.net. We'll love to chat about it next time. Take care, everybody. Keep safe. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.